welcome to Deserted with Lindy and Grace. On this podcast, we ask our guests what dishes they would take to our deserted island and the stories behind them. We all have dishes that transport us back to a moment in our lives. Food can leave a lasting impact and we want to know what those dishes are to you. Our mission is to shine a positive light on food and show how the power of a dish can shape a person. So join us whilst we dive in deep to our guests' experiences and find out what they'll be eating on our deserted island. Have you gone out to eat yet? No. I will after my marathon. Um, you, you, You went out, right? Not to eat, but all the restaurants I love to eat are not opening until May 17th. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I mean, I could, I could go out to eat in a pub or whatever, but it, I don't know. Like it's, I'm not scared. Like I don't have anxiety, but you know, I'm not scared, but there's almost like, is it worth it to me? I don't think I've actually eaten out for like almost a year properly and so I'm kind of like it's just because it's not a habit anymore that I just have to like do the first one and then it will just I'll be like oh okay I remember this feeling it's fine yeah yeah so that's a good point like remembering the feeling of what it's like because I did I did go out to eat a couple times not a lot and I only I was very selective of the restaurants that I went to in the summer when things were kind of open I feel more I was less scared when we were allowed to go out to eat in the summer than I am now I think I'm going to be more picky about where I go yeah and you should be picky we should you know people people who don't even have allergies are picky yeah (laughs) I think as well like I just love cooking at home so it's almost like changing that mindset but um I guess that's a good like intro into (laughs) our guest for this week is Rachel and Leah from Because I Said So and they were amazing yeah it was so much fun to talk to mother-daughter duo yeah I mean like you know me and you have like amazing relationship with our moms and the way that they like passed down cooking and eating and like how they managed our allergies growing up and things like that and always made us feel super inclusive and that's exactly like what Rachel has done for Leia and like all the different health issues that she's had and her brother is the one that like had the allergies first so that was really interesting I didn't realize that like it wasn't Leia that had the allergies first it was um her brother who's younger than her so I thought like it yeah I just love that conversation about how they've like the like what we talk about all the time like how it's evolved throughout their life and how started off being not so great in the kitchen to now they have a cooking show on YouTube like it's such a progression and I love the way that they talk about food. I think it was for me really interesting because you know we both had allergies starting very young so we never really got to hear that kind of moment where your mom was like oh this is now when I have to start caring or like yeah not caring but um facilitating for the allergies and to hear Rachel's sort of moment when her son got diagnosed with um allergies and she kind of you know went had to go into the kitchen and look at it basically anew and like went to the supermarket and had to look at it in a new light and I thought that was such good insight to sort of what it's like to be a parent of a child with allergies yeah 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 and then and then when Leah um that was diagnosed with Crohn's Mm -hmm. that was a whole different thing and then you'll talk we'll talk about how um vegetarianism comes into that as well and foods that you can't eat and foods that you choose not to eat you know and how that changes in your family like it's just it's such it was such a good conversation Mm -hmm. and the joy that they have talking about food is like the same kind of joy that me and Grace have and I just genuinely like was just I really love this conversation and we said it at the end but I genuinely had a smile ear to ear throughout the entire conversation they you know they're mom and daughter duo but you the way that they sort of roll off each other and sort of finish each other's sentences (laughs) not be cliche but it's like sisters like um it was really 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 special to see and also just to have 
such an enthusiastic and positive outlook in the kitchen and cooking together. Yeah, I really loved it. And I think you guys will really love it as well. And um, yeah, well, I yeah, let's just get started. And <laughs> yeah, let's jump right into it. You guys will love this. Yeah. Um, so thank you guys for listening. And please let us know what you think about the episode. And we will see you in the next one. See you in the next one. Bye. Today we have um, the wonderful Rachel and Leah um, on with us, a mother-daughter duo, which is honestly like really special to me. And I know Lindy as well, just because we have super strong um, and special relationships with our moms and just our food journey. So welcome. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I guess, guys, we just want to um, start by getting to know you, whether you are um, foodies, what's your history, your past with food, whether you think that you were a foodie before you had Leia. Um, that would be really interesting to know and kind of give us a little bit of a background about who you are separately and together. Right. Uh, do, do we want to start with the together? Okay, we'll I start with like together. I feel like that's the fun part. And we'll separate. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. Okay, so we are Rachel and Leah, the famous mother-daughter duo behind the YouTube cooking sensation, Because I Said So. Because I Said So is a cooking channel that we started over quarantine to teach uh, college students, uh, people looking for an easy meal, really just anyone how to make easy, inclusive and delicious recipes. So we have a really strong connection, especially through food. We have a really great time in the kitchen, even though I don't know how to cook as well. Oops. But we just have so we just have so much fun cooking together and making recipes for the channel. And that's really how our food journey came together. But separately, you have the longer history. I say you go for it. That was Leia's nice way of saying you're, you're older. Old. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's interesting. I would not consider myself a foodie prior to many years. Um, I did not know how to cook when I got married. I did not really know how to cook very well when I had children either. Really what forced me into learning how to cook was when my son 14 years ago was diagnosed with food allergies. And then all of a sudden I was like, uh-oh, you know, what am I gonna do now? Like I can make eggs before that was easy or I could buy things at the store that was easy or we could order out, well, that was easy but now we couldn't do any of those things because he was allergic to eggs and peanuts and tree nuts and at the time, citrus. So really my deep dive into cooking or baking really started, I would have to say, when he had food allergies because now I had to literally feed my family and start from scratch and I had no idea where to start and anybody who's on you know a food allergy journey especially when they're first diagnosed whether it's you know an adult or whether it's a parent it brings on like a real sense of anxiety and a fear and you have two choices like you can cave into the fear and cry in your closet which I did um, but at some point you know we have that somewhere deep down within like this inner you know strength this gas tank of strength like deep down that you know i have to do this so and it was very difficult because this was a long time ago before you know the robust internet there was no social media facebook was in its infancy there was no snapchat no instagram there weren't any like even support groups and not even a lot of information on the net. So it was really difficult. No cookbooks, there were no allergy cookbooks. Nobody knew what food allergies were or celiac or gluten-free or any of those things. So really it was my intention at that point to like, okay, well, I guess you're gonna become a cook now. So <laughs> you're gonna have to figure this one out. And that's really where it started. And it was because I wanted to give the kids a sense of home. I didn't want holidays to be, you know, half baked, so to speak. Um, I wanted them to enjoy all of the traditional holiday food that I had enjoyed as a kid growing up or that we had enjoyed when I could buy it in the store. Now I had to kind of figure out the whole thing all by myself. So that's really where it started. And so neither of you have food allergies. It's your brother and son that do, or, or do you have allergies? Well, we were thrown for a little plot twist when I turned <laughs> 13. I grew up um, 
pretty much staying away from the allergens my brother couldn't eat just out of fear too because I didn't want to hurt him but then when I was 14 I actually had a pretty significant reaction to a cookie with macadamia nuts in it I went to an allergist and we found out oh you have food allergies too so fun um well, you, I, didn't, you didn't explain the first part of that what was the first part well, of that we were already changing our diets again because you had been diagnosed oh I forgot when you were... about that I yeah forgot. I know that's a pretty big part it's of my a pretty life. big part of our lives <laughs> So I guess backing up when I was 13, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is an autoimmune disorder in which my immune system attacks my small intestine. So my relationship with food was already pretty complicated. Growing up, I was never, I was never really much of a foodie. All I knew was if you're eating at home, you're keeping your brother safe. And that's really what I knew. So I kind of grew up on that. And then when I got diagnosed with Crohn's, suddenly I had to learn a new way of feeding myself. It wasn't just you eat at home and you're safe. It was you're listening to your body to find out what's truly safe for your stomach, what doesn't hurt. And then I got diagnosed with food allergies and that was a whole nother layer. So it was a, yeah, tough, I know. It was a very tough it was a hard year. years. So my journey really started then I started, as I got older, I had to learn how to, I guess, kind of get more autonomy and independence over my own body, realizing what I could put in my body that would keep me safe and keep me functioning well. And enjoy. And enjoy that. That's a really big component of food too. So, and then going up, oh, growing up, I can't talk today, growing up and going off to college, that was a whole nother, that was a whole nother dilemma. Again, learning how to feed myself on my own. And it really kind of culminated in starting the cooking channel with mom because I'm starting now to learn not only how I know what's safe for my body, the, oh, I can eat that food or I can't eat that food, but how I can physically create dishes that I can eat and I can enjoy. Right. Did I forget anything? No, I think you very much covered that one. <laughs> that's, that's super special. And I think is a um, really perfect introduction, Leah, to the first dish to take to the island. So. <laughs> Um, I guess, what is your first dish? My first dish, oh, I get to start off the show. <laughs> yes. So my first dish is pumpkin bread. Pumpkin bread is amazing. And it's really, really special to me because it's actually one of my favorite recipes that I made on the cooking channel with mom. I had no idea what the absolute delight of pumpkin bread was until November when we decided to make a nice warm Thanksgiving recipe. And that day was the most fun filming day ever. For some reason, I couldn't follow any instructions that day. And we were just laughing all over the place. And mom kept whacking me with a spoon because I wasn't putting in the right ingredients. And you can just look back at the videos and like just watch us just being in our element laughing together. And the pumpkin bread was amazing. And now whenever I eat it, I just remember just being in the kitchen, just laughing with mom. And I feel like that's a memory that's gonna carry me way farther than after I eat pumpkin bread because I'll eat that thing in like 30 minutes. That's, that's so interesting to me because whenever my mom and me are in the kitchen, <laughs> it, doesn't go, it doesn't go so fun the way it is. I'm quite a control freak in the kitchen. And um, yeah, I don't think that I would have come out of that experience laughing. So that's what that's what I really love about your cooking channel and like even your presence online is the joy like you can hear it in your voice as well the joy that you have not just with the food which is what we're talking about today but the joy that you have together cooking because it's it's not it's rare I think it's rare that a family family members have that kind of joy in the kitchen especially when one of them like when they have certain different restrictions as well because i think maybe i'm more in control of the kitchen because of my food allergies so i think it's so interesting just that love and that joy that you have around it even when you speak about it after so like where did that kind of come from like where did it was it always there or was it when you got diagnosed or anything yeah tell us about that so if you, um, you know, those commercials that usually oh, no. come around, it's true. The commercials that come around like during the holidays where they're sitting in this beautifully white curated kitchen and it's like multi-generational. You've got the grandmother and the mother and, and the kids. Flower and on she's, each other. There's flowers. And they're laughing. Okay. So that's not. It was the opposite. It's of not that. the way it was. So when I first started delving into this whole like baking without eggs kind of thing, you know, for like 
uh, holidays, I would make like sugar cookies or that's what we did. So it was not- The kitchen was not a happy place to be. In fact, I avoided it were, at all costs. They were very young and I thought it would be great to involve them in the entire process, which is bad really idea. the bad idea. It's just not, no. So I went, oh, let's make the dough together. And of course, nobody was listening and there was flour all over the place and things were spilling and I am a bit of a control freak. So I was like, okay, this isn't working. So then I was like, all right, the next year we did it. Then I made the dough. I'm like, okay, you guys can roll it out yourselves. And again, it was like, a I want the dough. I want the roller. I I'm like, okay, so then the next year, this is like a 10 year process. Next year I made the dough, I rolled the dough and then I gave them each like their own cookie sheet. And I'm like, okay, you can cut out the shapes but I only had one set of cookie cutters. I want that one, I want that one. I'm like, okay. So then the next year I made the dough, I rolled the dough and then I gave them two different sets of cookie cutters. So we were cool. Then they started arguing over like the icing. So then I had to buy like double icing oh the next God. year. So it I was a very long point. process and I was not very willing to give up, you know, that kind of control. For years, I didn't know how to make anything at all. I think that the connection in the kitchen really did start. When you were home. When I was home from college, because yeah. I kind of realized all these years, I never learned how to make anything. I avoided that kitchen. I really did. Well, also it was because you were sick for a really long time. And it was you taking care so of me. So it was me. a very different relationship we've developed over the years. Yeah. And and I really believe that it's because of the experience uh, that we had to go through together, that she had to go through and I actually had to watch and help her heal. I think that's kind of what really brought us together in the kitchen. I was no longer in this like healing role anymore because she was you know, feeling better, but I was in the teaching role because I'm like, well, what are you gonna do when you go back to school and you don't know how to cook and you're Never. living in an apartment? So I was still sort of in the, the parental role. But it was different. But it was different. We were on the same page. Yeah, we were on the same level. I think that's when it really transformed because it used to be you made food for me either to keep me safe or help me heal. Mm -hmm. And then when I came up from college and I was learning how to cook alongside you, it was, you're teaching me how to do this myself. And I think, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I think that like kind of lessened the control element because it wasn't like parent and child, you're doing this wrong. It was, we're working together to help you and you're still doing this wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's really interesting that sort of, I mean, obviously this year with COVID has, you know, brought a lot of difficulties for so many people, but in some ways, and you're not the only ones that I've, you know, talked to, and I think I've experienced this as well of just, you know, taking that moment and slowing down, like, at what other point were you going to have the time to sort of move back from college right. to sort of reconnect with your family and your mom to sort of spend that time in the kitchen, which you wouldn't have gotten maybe elsewhere, it sounds like, and, you know, sort of made that transition from mom daughter role to sort of, you know, you guys are co-founders with because I said so so um it's really really um special and interesting like how how do you find your recipes to cook on the show that's a really good question um so a lot of them I think well, I try to envision what Leia can do in a in an apartment off campus we usually start out by asking we have like little strategy sessions and we usually start out by asking what do I need to know how what to make? What can Leia make? What can Leia make? <laughs> and then we take it from there. Um, some of them are recipes that, you know, were my favorite because I like to have them in the house. And, you know, the kids, you know, just by me making them, then it became their favorites. Um, but really it's more like, what can Leia make when she's off camp? Like what's doable? And also what's inclusive. If a recipe mm. has a ton of allergens, even if they're not our allergens, we tend to stay away from it because we want everyone else to have a spot at the table too. I love that. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's go on to our next dish, which is coming from Rachel. Rachel, what is your second dish? Okay, so my favorite dish um, is it's called manzel bread. Mm -hmm. And I, I like to call it biscotti's Jewish cousin. <laughs> um, and there's actually a difference between biscotti and manzel bread. Biscotti is, uh, doesn't use as much oil or fat. Manzel bread uses more fat in it. So it's not as crunchy or as dry as biscotti. Although I cook the bejeebers out you of really, it. Really so did. I like it really crispy. And manzel bread has a lot of 
like really interesting memories for me. So growing up, we were we were very um, observant, and we would go to synagogue mm -hmm. uh, every weekend. And after services, there would be like this little um, smorgasbord. Well, smorgasbord, like a little dessert social afterwards. And it was like cake and soda and people would kind of, you know, socialize mingle. and mingle. And I discovered Mandelbread at this, at this social. And really it was like the driving force to get me out of bed because my mother didn't <laughs> buy junk food. So it was the driving force to get me out of bed and go to synagogue so that I could totally pilfer for Mandelbread. And I did like, I ate my weight's worth and eventually my mother caught on to what I was doing because she was distracted talking to people while I would go from table to table like taking all the mandel bread until one day <laughs> I actually got sick and then she like put the kibosh on mandel bread like no more mandel bread but we also had a really good friend who uh, of my parents who I called her aunt Helen she wasn't my aunt and she made mandel bread and she heard of um, my, my mother's edict of no more mandel bread and she started to make it and she would like drop it off at our house she was like our mandel bread pusher and I was like do you have any mandel bread today and Helen like I was like salivating and so my dad and I used to eat mandel bread all the time and um I just became a lover of it. And I like thinking about her because she was such a, a sweet woman. We'd walk to synagogue with her and she would always, she was a teacher and she would always ask me how I was doing, what I was learning. So it's a really nice memory for me of us walking home leisurely from synagogue because we would walk because it was uh, close by. And I mean, while the, the one, you know, devastating day where the mandel bread was taken away, but you know, it, it wound up that we got homemade mandel bread and I realized how much better homemade was than like the bakery stuff. Um, so, and I'm a big, as you can see, I'm holding my mug. I'm like a big coffee drinker. So mandel bread is like the quintessential thing to dunk in coffee. So do you make mandel bread to dunk in your coffee or do you make coffee in order to dunk mandel bread? It's like chicken and the egg, but either way, I love it. So yeah, that's, that's cool. It's kind of eating as switching eating as sort of fuel for your body to fuel for your soul. If that, yeah, that's really, yeah. I have some really nice memories of that growing up. And do you think that like has like the your religion come into your food in any other way or is it that was that the past or is it now like how did you push like not push it like but like how did you fold it into the kitchen you know being you know being in America and then also being Jewish like how did you mix those two together in that so way I, I think there's a huge um cultural connection and religious connection to food. I mean, food is like a, in any religion, there's special foods that you make on certain holidays. You know, there's special things that you don't eat, you know, and then there's things that you do. And um, it's such, it, they're so intertwined with each other. You know, even if you're not a religious person, I think that holiday food, holiday fare is very important even to people who are not religious. You know, people, they identify with it. Um, there are, there's all sorts of reasons why you eat the food. You know, there's all sorts of symbolic significance that goes along with a, a special meal or, a, you know, a, a cookie or, you know, a certain cake, you know, why we eat it on this holiday and not on that holiday. So I think there's a real cultural significance that's sort of ingrained even when you're a kid. I mean, I remember my, my mom was not a baker at all. But my grandmother would bring stuff to the house and I have memories of them cooking things together. Um, you know, sitting down to a holiday meal with like the special, the special foods that we would all have, you know? So that kind of stays with you over time. And I think that when food allergies sort of reared their ugly head, um, I felt very threatened that, you know, I wasn't gonna be able to maintain that, you know, those special foods because they involved making them with in, without the ingredients that I only knew how to make them with. And there were a couple of holidays that were not so happy. And I would always try to downplay the food. Like, oh, let's just you know, make a really pretty table setting or let's do an arts and crafts project or here's an Oreo. But 
it didn't, you know, it, there's a real significance between food and, and, and your culture. And I couldn't deny it. You know, you can't, you can't replace the quintessential apple cake or manzel bread with an Oreo cookie. It just, it doesn't translate, you know, and your table may look pretty, but when you can't eat those special foods that you identify with, you know, you, you feel kind of a sense of hopelessness. And there were like a few holidays where I just couldn't get it together because I didn't know how. So I think that's such a sort of mom thing as well. I know my mom and I'm sure Lindy, you're too sort of choreographed with the recipe as known to make it the same for your kid and sort of us of, you know, cause you don't want, you don't want to see your kid missing out. And so you just want to sort of make up that oomph and that culture um, the best way so that everyone's can sort of be a part of it, which is, um, it's difficult. It's definitely difficult, but it's a challenge. And you've made it work. It just takes a lot longer and it's just hard. And hopefully with what we have, like hopefully with Leia, like now if you, when you have children or if you have children, you, you kind of understand that process and it's going to be a quicker for you it's going to be easier for you because we're this generation that now we have all this abundance of like different people cooking different cuisines and your cooking channel like I now could cook things that I would never have cooked before and I wouldn't have found that in a book I think the one thing that helped me along the journey and again this this is not this was not a linear process at all. I mean, there were like ups, downs, and everywhere in between. But the one thing that sort of kept me going was I focused on two things. One, focus on what we can eat, not what we can't, which kind of like opened up a new world for me. And it was really interesting how that actually came into play. I was actually shopping for the holiday of Passover, which is a very restrictive holiday, especially in terms of food allergies. Like the hallmarks of Passover cooking are eggs, walnuts, and almonds. It's in everything because you don't eat bread or you don't use flour. So, you know, you have to use 5,000 eggs to make, you know, a baked good. And um, I was walking, it was literally right after we found out about uh, my son's allergies. And I was literally walking around the store in such a horrific mood, um, like, oh, can't eat that, can't eat that, can't eat that, what's the point, can't eat that, and I was just so angry, and there was a woman who was shopping in the aisle next to me, and literally, her cart was filled, filled with chocolate chips, like, she was like, I was like, what, I, I thought I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't understand, like, Literally her entire cart was filled with chocolate chips. And she sees me staring at her and she's like, oh, you must think this is so strange. She's like, but you know, my, my grandson has soy allergies and Passover chocolate chips are the only ones that don't have soy in them. This was like before we had, you know, the whole array of allergy free products. She said, so I buy them and I stock up on them so I can make him things all year long. And I just wanted to like hug her. She was like the allergy Willy Wonka. I was like, I wanted to tell her everything. Like, oh my God, oh my God. I just wanted to like break down in the store and cry. And I'm like, wow, like your grandson's really lucky to have you. Like here I was trying to make the world understand what I was going through. Nobody understood. Um, and here's this woman like doing everything. She, she wasn't focusing on what she couldn't do. She was focusing on what she could. And that just like opened my eyes to things. So one, focus on what you can eat. And two, you know, intent trumps perfection. I was always like, oh my God, it has to look perfect. It has to be perfect. And really at the end of the day, it didn't need to be perfect. It just had to taste good and you know, not poison anybody. And you know, so I could have something on the table, but I was always about the perfection. I felt like I had to be the one to prove to the world that it could be perfect, that it could be great, that allergy-free food was just as good as regular food. This is like in the very early days of this. Um, and then I realized, you know, like the birthday cake doesn't have to look perfect. It just, I just have to make a birthday cake, you know? They don't care. I was the one. So once I kind of got past 
those two mindsets, things became a little bit easier. And that's not to say, cause like, I know she hears the foot stamping and, you know, <laughs> me calling out the dough or the batter, calling it a couple of names. And she's like, mom, she's like, it's just a cake. I'm like, I know, you know, I'm terrible at cake decorating. <laughs> I love that. The intent trumps perfection. I'm writing it down for my yeah. own personal <laughs> life. Put it on a pillow or yeah, on a yeah. mug. <laughs> But that's also just with any food allergy, I think with like friends and family, I think a lot of people want to be perfect for you, want to make sure that everything's perfect for you and they want to make sure that you can eat everything on the table and you know, all of that. And I think as long as you're intending to just include me in something, I don't need everything to be perfect. I just want to be like, I don't know, I just want to be there and like right. you have the intention to include me. And that's all, like we had um, my best friend on and she was just like, sometimes you, I can't do everything for you, but the intent is always to try and get you involved. And like, right. that's, that's the only thing like I need. I don't know about anyone else, but like for me, I just need someone yeah. to intend on me being included because a lot of the time I'm, I'm not even involved in the conversation. Right. And so I think the intention of having that inclusion is like the only thing that we actually want. So yeah, um, I'm going to go on to dish number three, which is Leia. Right. Dish number three is jeweled quinoa. Um, no, it's not actual jewels, but it's <laughs> different colored veggies, cranberry, squash, spinach, all wrapped up in delicious quinoa. And I love it. It is my dish and here is why. So and this again ties back into kind of the Jewish holiday fair. Another nice food restriction for me, I am vegetarian. I became my choice. By choice, my choice. I became vegetarian in first grade when I read a Shel Silverstein poem describing the animal's point of view. Turkey. It was the turkey's point of view. Mom is not On fond. Mom is not fond of Shel Silverstein because then it means she had to start cooking vegetarian meals. <laughs> Thanks, Shell. <laughs> <laughs> but since then I have been vegetarian by choice. And so a lot of holidays involve meat, especially in Jewish holidays too. There's meatballs, there's turkey, there's chicken on brisket. brisket, there's chicken, there's, and all of the stuff I couldn't eat. And it was chose, chose not, not to, to eat. eat. Sorry, there's, there is a difference. <laughs> um, and on every holiday, there would be the question, the age old question, tale as old as time, what is Leia going to do for protein? And a lot of times I would just eat dessert, which is not good. So, well, it's always good, but I did need some protein. So eventually this dish was brought into our repertoire and because it has protein and veggies. And whenever we would make meals for holidays, there would always be Leia's jeweled quinoa. So we'd put the meat on the table, the soup on the table, the sides on the table, and I would get my big bowl of jeweled quinoa and I would eat it all. And basically it served not only as an absolutely delicious meal, but it again, put me back at the table because it wasn't oh my gosh, look at Leia. She can't eat anything. She's just picking at green beans too. Leia has a dish that's good so everyone else can enjoy it too if they want. But also I had my special, I had my special food that tasted good and put me back in at the holiday table. So it's forever one of my favorites and I have to have that on the island, I say so. We actually use it for like every holiday. Oh yeah, now we all it's love it. It's not even just one special holiday anymore. It's, it's every like holiday. every holiday. It's so good. <laughs> it's, re it's really interesting because, you know, you have sort of food restrictions on you that you don't choose. And then you also have, <laughs> I only say this because it's something that I, I don't, I don't struggle with it, but I know people that, you know, it's, it's difficult. I think in the allergy community, it's sort of a big debate about, you know, there's certain restrictions that are sort of forced upon us. Yeah. And then also a whole group of, of people who sort of choose their food, very much pro plant-based, um, you know, alternatives and sort of more plant-based myself, but, you know, I guess, what were, what were your considerations and how is it like for you? How, how do you manage sort of the restrictions that you choose versus what you have sort of chosen for yourself? Yeah. In, in the beginning, when she was diagnosed with Crohn's, we had even more restrictions. Um, so her vegetarianism was actually really quite difficult at well, the time. In full transparency, there was a period of time when I had to stop being vegetarian because my body just absolutely needed protein and with all the other food restrictions, it wasn't getting it. So I think when that happened, I kind of had to factor in 
when I should loosen up on the restrictions that I chose versus how to manage the restrictions that I had to follow. So I'm allergic to nuts. I will never eat nuts. That's something I cannot change. And there are certain things that hurt my stomach with Crohn's that I cannot change. But the vegetarianism was something that I did have to change for the good of my body at some point. So I feel like managing it is kind of a constant check-in process with myself. Um, as I'm feeling better, Recently, like um, Crohn's is a chronic illness, so it'll never go away, but there are times when my body is doing really well. So when my body is doing really well, I acknowledge that I check in with myself and I can add that restriction back in. I can seek to eat vegetarian again, because that's just what I love to do. No hate on my meat eating pals, but that's just my <laughs> choice of life. And then when my body is not doing well and it needs the iron and it needs the protein and I have, and I just have too many restrictions, I had to make the hard decision to let go of one of the things that I chose for myself. So I feel like for me, it's just kind of a constant, how is my body feeling? What does it need? No, Leia, what does it really need? And then taking it from there. That's I'm so glad we're recording this because I can play it back. I've thrown some temper tantrums in the past. <laughs> because that was a really great answer. Thank you so and I'm really much. proud of you oh, for speaking you. up about that. Cause I know that that was a really difficult- It was a hard choice. It was Moral easy. decision for her to make at the tender age of 12. It was not easy. I that's think that's really thing. important though, because I mean, I've gone through vegetarian moments of my life. I've gone through vegan moments of my life. And then I've been like, no, I'll be, I'm fine. I've got too many restrictions anyway. And then I've gone back. And I think you can't take the, like, obviously we have restrictions, but we also have, we're people. So even if we didn't have allergies, what would we, like, I always know, like if I didn't have allergies, I bet you I would be a vegan because morally and just who I am as a person, I really want to, but I am allergic to chickpeas and lentils and beans. It's, I cannot get the protein, <laughs> like genuinely cannot get it. And I've tried. And so I think for me right now is that I'm not putting a label on my food I'm just saying like I would rather not eat meat I would like I would rather not but if that's something that is available to me and I have to it's it's that if that's like the safest option on the table wheat and potatoes is like my go-to and so if that's the only thing on the table that will give me like an actual meal I'm taking that it's also a journey like we talk about on this podcast all the time that food is a journey especially when you've had to think about food differently all your life it's going to be a journey and nothing is linear like you said like I'm glad that you spoke about this because it's not something that will have to it's going to be the same forever it, it's the intent it's not perfection yeah. <laughs> it's very true and you know I was a vegetarian for 15 years when I was younger wow. and I remember and my parents were veg they they followed along too and we were all vegetarian probably like later in life, like when I was in my 20s. And I remember when I decided not to do it anymore because I wasn't feeling well. And I just had my second child and I was just not feeling well. I decided to go back to eating meat. And I remember I didn't want to tell my parents because I was so scared that they would be, I, mean, I was already in my 30s and I didn't want to tell my parents that I had gone to the dark side. <laughs> so um, I was like, okay, well, when we go to family events, I'll just I'll just fake it. Like, I'll just pretend I'm vegetarian. And then I kind of thought, well, you know, being a hypocrite is really just worse than, than just fessing up and telling them. Um, so I finally did. They, they, they didn't disown me, but it was hard. But food is, food is super personal. And like anytime that people, like I, I know, like in my past, anytime that anyone's criticized the, my way of eating or anytime that anyone like I look on social media and people do have to justify what they eat and mm. I think we shouldn't have to we should just eat what we want to eat and yeah make good choices but make good choices for yourself and your body and your lifestyle and you don't have to justify oh I'm eating meat but it's only organic and it's farm-fed and it's just, like if that's <laughs> what you want to put in your body then put in your body and yeah we want to make sure that our world is still our world for the next you know thousands of years but you know, you can't, we can't make it so, I don't know, we shouldn't be criticizing anyone based on their dietary requirements. And I think a lot of people have that. And even people who have restrictions like us feel though that people are criticizing what they actually eat. And it's like, just not a great culture to have of someone criticizing what you put in your body. Or what you don't put in your body. Yeah, it will change. 
And so we don't want to put ourselves in a pigeonhole. And sometimes we do. It's really, really true. It's, I mean, we, yeah. and it's funny when, when we started this channel, uh, you know, we have cooking restrictions, so we don't make eggs or frittatas or, you know, pecan crusts or whatever. And we also decided to make things more dairy free, although we do do a few dairy yeah. items and we, we tried, tried to be gluten friendly. And so we were afraid when we started this whole thing that people weren't going to want to want to watch because yeah. it was weird because what it's dairy, it's gluten, it's not, it's this, it's that free. It's not going to be any good. And what we found to our surprise was people were really embracing it. And we started getting requests like, hey, can you make more dairy free? Or hey, that salad was awesome. Or, oh my God, we made the pumpkin bread with oat flour. And she was just recently diagnosed with celiac. This was so great. And that was just like eye-opening to us because we we didn't really start it out as an allergy no. kind of channel. That was we, not our purpose. That wasn't, our purpose was to make it inclusive. We never thought that people would catch on to that. I also think it's very interesting how we did not start the channel as an allergy friendly channel, but our life naturally is allergy friendly and mm. we exude allergen friendliness. So <laughs> it automatically became a part of what we do because it's a part of everything we do. And that's just food really ties into daily life every single day right. in so many ways. Yeah. Because I've tried over the years just not to make that my identity. It always comes. And it always because it is part of the identity. Well, it, you know, but it honestly, it's it's these experiences that have kind of brought us to this point in time. Yeah. yeah. And, and like it's what you said, it's your life. And so whenever I talk about food, food allergies has to come into play. Before we move on to um, dish number four, I did want to ask, what do you think of the flax egg substitute? Oh, I have very strong feelings. About I do too. So I want to hear your strong feelings before we move on. I used to use flax eggs all the time because I was like, well, flax egg, okay. It's kind of goopy like an egg. I hate flax eggs. I'm sorry to all those flax egg lovers. <laughs> um, I think it has a weird taste. I think it has like a root kind of rooty kind of taste. I, I don't know. I don't love it. I don't love the look of it. I don't love the taste of it. The only time I will use it, like if I am desperate enough, is like in some kind of a chocolate baked good because you can pretty much hide it in a chocolate baked good or something really hearty, like, you know, something like an oatmeal, something you can kind of get away with it but it is not my first egg replacer of choice. And I have made things that are really like, okay, you can never put a flax egg like in a pound cake. Like there's just certain things you can't. <laughs> I try to make matzo balls with flax and that was just, it was a disaster. Ugh. Ugh. And the house smelled and- Oh no. I'm not a big lover of the flax egg. Okay, well now that we've settled that, Rachel, <laughs> what is your dish number four? The dish number four is chicken soup. Now, chicken soup I call the OG of bone broth because bone broth is really popular, but really bone broth is chicken soup. I mean, it's made differently. You know, but some people make chicken soup by actually taking the bones and, you know, you broil them and then you put them in the soup and I don't do all of that. I, I like quick, quick chicken soup. Um, but chicken, it's funny, I didn't really grow up a lot on chicken soup. My mom never really made chicken soup. We had it on holidays with my grandmother. She and my grandmother would make chicken soup. That was before we went vegetarian. Then uh, we had veggie soup for the soul. Then we had veggie soup and all sorts of, never mind. The rest of the family made fun of my family when we all went vegetarian, but we're not gonna get into that. Um, chicken soup actually really only made its way back into my life was because my son went to sleepaway camp and he came home and said you know when we were at sleepaway camp we would have chicken soup every friday night because it was so good i'm like huh like he comes home from camp and there's like a new oh mom can you make this i couldn't have it at camp because i couldn't eat the apple turnovers or i couldn't eat the challah or i could but chicken soup he could eat and he was gangbusters over it i was like okay well, chicken soup involves like using chicken with the bone. So um, even though I was not vegetarian anymore, I could only cook things that didn't resemble animals in their whole form. Mm -hmm. So chopped turkey, chopped meat, 
and chicken cutlets. That was it. That's all I cooked. No, nothing with a bone or a skin or a hair, like none of it. Um, but chicken soup, you have to boil the chicken with the bone. Then you have to take the chicken out and you have to kind of carve it and you have to remove all the chicken and Leia's making this face like, oh my God, I'll never eat that again. Um, so, and normally like if we went to like a, a party and they were serving like chicken, like on the bone, I would make my husband cut it up for me. <laughs> like we went to a wedding, I'm like, here, cut that up. Cause I couldn't even look at it. It would gross me out even after not being a vegetarian for you know many, many years. So, but he wanted chicken soup and I wanted him to feel like, you know, this is traditional chicken soup in Jewish culture. Like who doesn't have chicken soup? Chicken soup is good for the soul. Chicken soup is good for your health. It's bone broth. It's good for your gut lining. I'm like, okay, I will make chicken soup. And I did. And he was so happy to eat it. It just, it made me feel so good. Even though I was like, like pulling the, oh, we don't need to describe that. it was just really kind of gross for me, but I did it anyway. Now I just kind of like, you know, I can carve it like, you know, anyone's business. So I just kind of got over that, but it was really so nice that he went to camp, he wanted it and I was able to replicate it. Like that was easy. That was an easy fix. I just had to kind of get over my fear of chicken and it's parts. So, um, so that's just a really, it's, and it's good. It's wholesome. It feels good on a cold winter night. I'm sure it gets cold on the island sometimes. So, <laughs> you know, a big pot of soup, um, it's cozy. And I just, um, I would never make it in the summer. It's way too hot, but it's a really good winter food. And I know that when you're eating it, it's, you know, it's healing. So. Yeah. Where, um, sorry, not where, does your whole family get involved in the kitchen or like, does your son sort of share the passion? No, that's no, his biggest uh, contribution. He can make kitchen. a mug cake like no one's. He business. can make a mug cake and he can make salad dressing. That's like his new thing. But he shows a little bit of interest. You know, and he does love to eat the food. He loves that. <laughs> he can make a salad for himself. You know, he knows how to work a microwave. Maybe when you go back to school, maybe I'll have to teach him. Yeah, and then you things. teach him next. <laughs> so how? What is the age difference? between Leia and your and your brother? Four years, he's four years younger than me. Okay. So you already had Leia before you ha realized the allergies? Yes. Oh like, yes, we, already lived, we were living at least six years at that point from the time she was born. So that he was diagnosed like when he was two and a half. So how was that when, so when she was young and you just could cook everything and um, and then that transition, you know, yeah. Like, how has it been like when she was a baby and you didn't have to worry about, you know, going to a playground, going to a friend's house, and then suddenly, you know, now, now four years later, you have to worry about it all. Like how, yeah, how did that work? I was a deer in the headlight. Like mm. I really, when you are, again, because food out, these, his food allergies were diagnosed well before food allergies even became, you know, a well-known thing. Um, it was really difficult for me. It was really difficult for me. It's difficult for people to wrap their head around the fact that food can, can be lethal. You know, nobody really understands that. They don't really believe it's, it's true. You know, a car can hit you and can kill you, or you can have a disease and it can kill you. But really like a speck of food, how is that and I, for a very long time, I kind of lived in denial that the doctor didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> like I was kind of hoping like, okay, this is not real. This will just, it'll fade out. It's just a phase, um, but, you know, between that and complete fear because I didn't have the tools that we have now. And what's interesting is that I didn't have a lot of tools back then. There's so many tools now, you know, websites and books and cookbooks and, podcasts and you know groups and I find like on all of these groups it's the same things people are overwhelmed because there's too much information they don't even know what to do first people don't understand that you need some kind of a plan just to kind of get you to the next step that keeping things simple and they put things out like I see them on these Facebook groups, you know, new to the diagnosis what do I do and there's like 500 comments oh you should buy this or you should do that or you 
And I feel, I feel it even now, you know, 14 years later, when I read all these comments and I'm thinking about that person, I'm like, oh my God, I have to stop because it's making me anxious. I can only imagine what that person is. I know what that person is feeling because I felt the same thing. Um, you know, once you start to develop a plan, a plan puts things in place for you and it can be a simple plan. It doesn't have to be a five page plan. It can just be four things, you know, what can I eat? Like Ari ate more yogurt that first, I don't know, a couple of months more than yeah. like, he ate more Activia yogurt than Jamie Lee Curtis does on the, the Activia set of a commercial, like take 25. Like he ate so much yogurt because I knew that was the one thing that had protein that he could eat. So, you know, it, it was slowly developing a plan, um, but it was very overwhelming very overwhelming and you know for the child left behind <laughs> the child left behind is now she has to kind of go along with the allergy diagnosis because I, we tried we tried to keep the allergens in the house but that didn't work very well mm -hmm. that was a whole lot of anxiety until we kind of like got rid of everything well it brought you to here and so i guess with that <laughs> long answer <laughs> it brought you here um but i guess with that why don't we move on to your final dish that you both are taking to the island <laughs> all right so our final should we say it like every other word uh, oh, uh, um no okay so <laughs> final take dish, it away our final dish together is called challah so every week there's a jewish holiday called shabbat and shabbat is basically Sabbath. You've, yeah, you've had a long week time to relax. And we kick it off with a wonderful dinner and a bread called challah, which is typically a three strand braid. It's a sweet bread. It has a nice glaze on top and it is delicious and nothing tastes more like home. So the battle- And for a very long time, we didn't have it. That was about to say that you read my mind. Okay, Sorry. No, go no, go ahead. No, you go. No, I've been talking a lot. Go okay, ahead. okay. Nope. So as she said, the battle for challah was a really long one because a lot of challah is made with eggs. So, and it's made in bakeries that have nuts or other pastries. So it was a lot of, do we get it from the grocery store? Do we get it from this bakery? This tastes bad. Is it good? Oh my God, a new allergen label. And I was a bakophobe. Like I, and actually mom invented a no rise challah and we, we figured out how to make the wash, like typical glaze without eggs. And so now again, it's another inclusive dish for us. And it's something I look forward to every week. I learned how to make it. So now I'm in charge of the challah. Well, and it's good. Well, also we, we took the whole concept of baking bread and I sort of, as a health coach, oh, I, I developed a program called Mindful Baking, The Need for Self-Care. And K-N-E-A-D. And um, what's interesting is that Leia has actually helped me on some of these sessions that we've done on Zoom with young women on how um, making bread is a mindful act because it allows your brain the space to think, to be mindful. You know, it's very meditative um, and you have to kind of go in approaching bread baking a very different way. There's like the, the pre-bake, the actual making, and then the post-bake. And I try to get young women to understand that if you go into bread baking without the right mindset, like, okay, I'm gonna make this bread, but oh my God, it's so many carbs. Or, oh my God, it's not good for me. Or, oh my God, I'm gonna get so fat. Then you're not really engaging in, in that relationship properly with the bread. It should be, you're going into it because you want to nourish yourself. You want to nourish your body. You want to help nourish your family or give it to somebody. Um, you want to be part of like the act, the meditative act. And then post, you want to enjoy it. There's no guilt. There's no like, oh my God, I have to run a race or I have to bike 10 miles to work it off. It's pure, unadulterated joy. So she's been helping me a lot with that. It's actually- I'm a bread baking master now. It's really been very nice. Like I'm doing these young women and I have my young woman with me. So it kind of reiterated the point. So it turned into something totally different, even better. I feel like it's that dish is kind of the accumulation um, of like what we've just been talking about, you know, the culture, the family aspect to changing the recipe for food allergies and then bringing it to the next generation to start again making it for the next generation of families and I love that and yeah I want to try it I definitely I saw a lot of it um 
in like I think it was last year and I was like oh I really want to try it and part of my family is Jewish but I never had like the food and the culture for that so I'm yeah I'd, that's always one of the bread recipes I want to try so I feel like that this is a sign <laughs> and I love that good. yeah <laughs> what we like to ask is what um kitchen ingredient would you want to take to the deserted island I think we should do it like one per person because if you want to do it joint, but I think it would be nice to see like what you guys want to take. <laughs> well, All right. <laughs> ours are kind of funny. <laughs> you go first, Leia. <laughs> okay, okay. So we actually, you suggested this ingredient to me as a joke, and then it quickly became not a joke anymore. So my ingredient would be pink Himalayan. So we took a family vacation to a very like it was an isolated beach house on like a private beach because we needed to get out of the house but we were not about to be unsafe in quarantine so that was just a backstory so we were in this house and the owner of the house provided us with condiments pepper and pink himalayan salt not the normal salt or as my brother started calling it the plebeian salt he became <laughs> obsessed with this salt he loved the salt so much he said that pink himalayan salt was fresh from the mountains a step above plebeian salt and it started out as a joke but soon the entire family started falling in love with pink Himalayan salt it's been months since that uh trip to the beach and we still only use pink Himalayan salt now and it's become a staple of the family and it really is just a step above and I'm sure there'll be salt in the ocean water on the island but it's plebeian salt compared to pink Himalayan so that's what I would bring we actually wrapped it up for him for Hanukkah and gave it to him yeah. as a present <laughs> so it reminds me of family and it's just a step above table salt. All right, what's your ingredient, mom? <laughs> it actually is a step above table yeah, salt. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Has more nutrients than table salt. See, um, we've been convinced to the pink Himalayan way Okay, of life. <laughs> so my ingredients are really good vanilla, not the crappy kind, the really good stuff because you can taste the difference. And I'm, I'm big when we're baking, it has to be good ingredients. And onion powder, I know complete opposites, but we're not big garlic people. Um, because of Crohn's and stomach sensitivity, whatever. So I use time. I go through so much onion powder. Like if there's no onion powder at the store, I don't know what I'm going to do. Cause I literally use it every single day, every single dish. And I just, between that and the Himalayan salt, <laughs> we're set. You can basically like spice up anything. So. That's great. Yeah. I love, I love, um, I'm a big salt eater to begin with, but I don't touch plebeian salt. It's only <laughs> pink Himalayan for me <laughs> years now. Um, but not only do we give you an ingredient, but we also let you bring a utensil to the island um, or kind of a kitchen item. Um, we do have solar panels, so it can be electric if you want. Um, what, what item would you guys take? Yep. Oh, you want me to go first? Yeah, I do. Okay, so I would have to take a really good, like a chef's knife. Because, I mean, you know, if there's mangoes or coconuts, you know, you need a really good knife. Well, coconut, you can just crack that thing open. But <laughs> um, I have taught Leia, if I've taught her, any, taught her anything, is that you need a really good knife to cut things and to cut them properly and to learn how to use it properly. So before you go to your island, you need to use it properly. Learn it. Because it it really, it is the most important thing in your kitchen is a proper knife, not like a butter knife or a steak. Like you can't go cutting like a huge old mango with, you know, a butter knife. It's just, it's not good. You need a really good chef's knife. Okay. So, um, when I first heard item from the kitchen, I said, and I quote, well, a microwave or something, duh. <laughs> but after I really thought about it, I think that little known gadget that really just makes all the difference. I love the little lemon squeezer I that we have in our kitchen. you were going to say I that. I love it because I am it's such- changed our life. It really has. <laughs> I'm such a fiend for lemon juice in tea, on my salad. I need anything. If I have my pink Himalayan salt and my lemon juice, I can spice up absolutely anything on this island. And onion powder. And onion powder. So I think that also, I do not like squeezing the lemon because then the seeds get in things and I have to get so frustrated. So I think I would bring my lemon squeezer with me because it's a modern day inconvenience that really can be fixed by a simple gadget from home goods. <laughs> That's what I'd bring. Yeah, I've also definitely cut, um, tried to cut everything with a butter knife when I was in college and it I, doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> work out for you no it doesn't work at all um but yeah definitely like citrus on um anything is the best seasoning 
like the best so like great great options and so the last um thing that you get to take is a cookbook so what are you bringing so i have well okay so the very first cookbook that came out uh for allergies was called food allergy mama cookbook um her, I'm, her name is escaping me right now but she it was literally the first allergy cookbook i bought it was the first one out on the market one of the first. And I loved it because she had a son who had severe food allergies. Oh, um, Rudnicki, her name, the last name was Rudnicki. And I'm trying to think of her first name. It'll come to me in a moment. Um, and it was just like a whole eye opener for me. It was like coffee cake and pizza dough and everything I wanted to make for the kids. And it was simple and it was easy. And it got me through so, so much. So I would definitely bring her her book. Um, you don't have a cookbook. I have, I, I know what I'm going to say. I okay. Have. Okay. So no, I do not have a cookbook because most of the times I read a cookbook and I'm like, what's that? What does that mean? I don't know how to do that. <laughs> um, but the one cookbook that I've been able to follow is yours, mom. Um, My yeah. You're, she doesn't, she doesn't author a cookbook, maybe in the future, but she has a blue binder with all oh these like messy paper recipes that I could not read or discern. So one day um, I laminated everything and <laughs> organized it for her and color coded it and table of contented it with my lovely type A personality. And now I can follow the instructions and read them. And I typed up some of the recipes that I couldn't read. So if I had to take any cookbook with me on the island, I would take that little blue binder with the laminated papers that I helped you make because that those recipes I can understand. And you wrote in nice, helpful notes for me. We so. had a lot of time in quarantine. <laughs> So that is what that I was in saying. the beginning, like the very beginning of lockdown. Where, yeah. And you were like, like, what do we do? I was like, what do oh, we do? I'll fix your cookbook because we're baking everything. So <laughs> that is what I would take. I would take that little blue binder. Wow. It sounds like we'll have a new cookbook, new allergy cookbook coming out in the next sort of years. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Name, I'd laminate it. Her name was Kelly. Kelly Rudnicki. That book saved me. I would take that with me because I still make those recipes. We'll put it all in the description um, of the episode. But I guess lastly, um, if you've listened to the end of our episodes before, we throw a little curveball to you of saying, unfortunately, a big wave comes up and washes all but one of your dishes away. Which dish would you keep? I think one for the two of them. I think that's I think that's going to be a tr I want it to be tricky. Yeah. It's a big wave. I think we really need it. It washed away everything. Okay. <laughs> Let's strategize. I already know. What? Can you, can you whisper in my ear? No. Mom, it has to be one for the two of us. You can't be a representative. Come here. Is a democracy on the island? I'm going to point. I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that. Okay, ready? We'll say it on three. One. One. Two, three. three. bread. Nice. I, I wasn't expecting that. That is great. Well, From a nutritional standpoint, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to have to forage on the island for some other stuff. We don't. Leia knows that if I don't have the mandel bread, I'm going to be very cranky on that and island. Also, and it's really good. And it, it's the perfect blend of inclusiveness. Mom's not hangry. Um, <laughs> delicious can dunk it in my coconut water family good for your soul good for my soul and also if i said another answer mom would probably get mad at me that's not <laughs> how we want to end this podcast i love that and we actually wanted to throw you another curveball just because it's the two of you <laughs> another wave no <laughs> and we wanted to know whether you guys are gonna go to the island together or separate oh well uh, my instinct was, oh, I'm going with her, but I feel like why should I, I feel like it's just separate. No. <laughs> well, depend. I don't know. I feel like you want to be on a tropical island by yourself. Let's see how the rest of this podcast goes. <laughs> I'd go together. I'd go together. I would go together. There's no me without you. Literally. Oh. I love that. Love that too. It's, this has been so much fun. Yeah. I've had a smile on my face the whole time. <laughs> um, hold that over my head later when we're in a fight you're gonna be like remember when you said there's no me without you on the deserted podcast <laughs> yeah yeah she's got me on that one it's true it's true and it will be recorded so you can play it back to her <laughs> that's in perpetuity so we can listen to it all the time <laughs> and so guys thank you guys so much for joining like this has been such a lovely podcast you 
you exude like joy and love and you care about food just as much as like probably me and Grace do and so it's just you like I've just enjoyed this so much um where can people find you on social media um and your YouTube channel all of that like plug it away and um yeah I'm let me let my producer take the Gen over now. got this. Okay. <laughs> so you can find us in tons of places. You can start with our YouTube channel because I said so cooking for you. We are on YouTube. We have a wonderful profile picture of us smiling and that's how you know you found us. You can find us on Instagram at because I said so period underscore, but you can just type because I said so. You can find us on TikTok again at because I said so. That was my idea. You can find us on Facebook at because I said so cooking for you. And you can find all of our recipes on www.matzoballfitness.com. If you don't know how to spell that, that's a-okay because you can't see the letters. This is a podcast. You can go on our Instagram or on our YouTube and the link to the website is there. Yeah, and I'll put all the links in the show notes so that people can click away. Um, yeah, that's amazing, guys. Thank you so much. I really, like, we really appreciate everything. And you, you've just, it's evening for us and morning for you. But for, like, genuinely, like, I'm, this has been the happiest part of my day. So, yeah, thank you. Oh, us too. Hey, thank definitely. you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, so we'll see you next time on Deserted. See you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe and review and tell us what you thought on Instagram at deserted underscore podcast. And we will see you next time on our Deserted Island.